Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. I, I want to do justice at this introduction. So I'm going to take just a couple of minutes if you give me the grace for that. But we're extending a little extra time for the hunts as, as they ministered this morning. But we've been doing this series this month entitled The Tough Talks. And we're covering subjects that often the church doesn't maybe address from the pulpit. But yet subjects like this need to be addressed. We've talked about mental health. We talked about addiction. We, and we're, today we're talking about racial reconciliation. And I, I believe in the land we see injustice, but we serve a just and righteous God. And, and, and there's a crisis in America but we need to have a Christ-like response from the church. And so we address issues, I believe, we need to address issues from the lens of Scripture, from the foundation of the Word of God, which is the final authority. Believers embrace the truth, believe the truth, and act on the truth and live according to it. And so I, I believe it's important that we find answers to deal with what we're facing in life through the Bible, through the Scriptures. And as a church, we can't be silent about what's going on in the nation. We also cannot be a voice that creates a deeper division in our nation. Uh, I, I want to quote Benjamin Franklin because he wrote this a long time ago. He said, justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. And, you know, I, I think about that. Jesus, he loved righteousness. He hated iniquity. And so because of his love for righteousness, he did something about the iniquity. He brought redemption, forgiveness, and salvation to the lost. He separated man from his sin and brought forgiveness to man and mankind. Now, Bishop Garland and Eileen Hunter with us all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and it's starting to get a little colder there, but not as cold as it's here, so... We've had the heat turned up in our house the last couple of days. Um, you know, we ought to treat our guests right. They're staying with us. Um, but these are not just fellow ministers. We've known them for around 20 years. And it's like when we first met them, there was an instant connection of our hearts. And, and so this relationship, even though we haven't spent maybe a lot of time and there's been breaks in the times we've talked or seen each other, um, we were in Atlanta, Georgia, when um, Bishop Wellington Boone released the Father's House to uh, Bishop Hunt and Eileen as they took charge and became the senior and lead pastors of that church. Uh, we've been with them at meetings throughout the country, convocations, and, and, and we've seen them operate at a level that we've just stood in awe. Their quality, their integrity of heart and we're so honored to have them here today. And God has used them in ways that is really beyond what I think they even ever thought they could be used with this, uh, the, the One Race Movement. Uh, Bishop Hunt is the co-founder of that movement. We've been showing videos. We've been promoting that for the last few weeks. Um, but I also have some other things I'm going to just share kind of from clips from you. Um, biography or bio, whatever you call it. Um, <clears throat> Bishop Hunt is a Atlanta native. Eileen is from Virginia. So that's 
great southern folk, right? Bishop Hunt is a proven strategic leader with a dynamic ministry background and extensive experience in leadership, management, and pastoral care. After completing a BA from Howard University in 1980 and a JD from Howard University Law School in 1983, he served as a judicial law clerk and staff attorney with the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. In 1983, he founded Raleigh, Raleigh International Church, an influential ministry with the mission of reconciliation in that city. He moved back to Atlanta, uh, and he was part of the Father's House, house with Bishop Wellington Boone, went on staff there to serve leadership in that ministry. And so his executive leadership spans some 28 years with the Fellowship of International Churches and New Generation Campus Ministries. He has served in many state and national leadership roles. And there's there's a long list here, maybe... (laughs) In 2011, he began to serve as the president of Prison Fellowship, the successor of uh, Chuck Colson that started that ministry many years ago, powerful ministry. And then, also, I think I missed something here. In 2004, he was appointed to the Georgia State Board of Pardons and Paroles by Governor Sonny Perdue and served as the chairman of the parole board in 2006. In 2010, he became commissioner of the Georgia Department of Juvenile Justice, and then 2011 Prison Fellowship. So these are just a few things about them, but also I have to say this about Eileen. She actually founded a campus ministry, New Generation Campus Ministries, and she also founded the Network of Politically Active Christian Women. And, and she's really committed to see people grow in Christ. I think that's the bottom line. And so I want you two to come up here, and we just want to give you a refuge welcome. And we're so honored that you could join us all the way from Georgia. Bless you. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We're sorry about that. He hasn't hit his medication yet. <laughs> and you know how it is when you get old. You just stumble like no, that. No, you just fall into attention. You just you make sure everybody <laughs> stumbles right into And then you know there has to be humility, too, after all those accolades and whatnot. I mean, really, we're just going to make you just fall down so they can really see who you are. But I am so excited to be here with you um, this morning. Um, especially in light of what's going on in our nation. And just like Bishop Malik said, we have known them a very long time. And these aren't just friends, 
that, you know, the kind of friends that you, you know, you just want to touch their hair. You, I don't know if y'all, y'all probably didn't grow up with that. But, you know, I'm black, so, you know, white people always just wanted to touch my hair. <laughs> you know, uh... I can't tell you how awesome that feels. But they're not that kind of friend. They, they really wanted to touch our hearts and for, to, to know what's going on in our hearts. And we, we talk about hard things and we want to know what's on each other's minds. And we're, we're able to just really get down and talk about a lot of stuff. And so that's the kind of relationship we have. And I want to encourage you to be intentional about making friends and having a relationship with other nationalities and ethnic groups. Because I don't know if you guys know it or not, this is a little spoiler alert, there are other races that are gonna be in heaven with us. You know, because in Revelation 7, 9, the Bible talks about that all nations, tongues, kindreds, and people are gonna be before the throne worshiping the Lamb of God. And so we've got to get to know each other on this earth because God is depending on us to reconcile the earth. Not the world, but us. So please be intentional. We love you guys. We love the Malik so dearly. And they have been speaking so highly of you guys this weekend. They love you dearly. You have awesome pastors. And we're so thankful for them being in our life and being true friends of ours. God bless you. I'll turn it over to <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let's give praise to the first lady of the church and the father's house, which is joining us out actually right now. There are some at the church there and having a team meeting that's joining us. And then we also are sharing the link with our, our church. So there are many people actually in the, in the south. Uh, uh, Deb said today, Refuge South. So... <laughs> So, uh, so this is a great thing to be with you. Um, you know, I just want to start right in, just start sharing my heart. Let me just let me put a plug in right now for tonight. There, there's no way I can finish this today, in, in the, this morning. What, what I have for you, I, I really believe I'm going to pour out my heart to you. So it's definitely in two parts. I'm going to share a little bit about my my background, my journey today. And then give you just some scriptures as it relates to the whole idea of reconciliation. And then tonight I'm going to talk about spiritually some of the spiritual components of uh, when you start talking about racial healing. That's very, very important for the church to understand. So I just want to just tell you that going in. So I don't know what you're playing tonight, but uh, please, you got to be here. Uh, tune in. And those that are also tuning in by live stream tonight, we certainly want to be a part. I think that that. Here in, uh, in this this uh, in the East Coast, it'll be at eight o'clock. It's seven o'clock here. Is that right? So uh, so anyway, those that are tuning in, be a part of it. So let me just jump right in. Lord, I thank you so much for the Word of God and the power of this might. Thank you, Lord, for just revealing yourself to us like never before. Bring your power and your presence here today supernaturally. Lord, visit us now in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you saw the video that we shared. That was one race. That was actually done uh, on uh, Juneteenth Day, June 19th, which if those of you don't know, that even though we had the Emancipation Proclamation, there was on June 19th, uh, the slaves were waiting in Texas for a word that actually the slaves were actually 
in uh, a freed. So it's, it's really the actual freedom day uh, of the slaves. So it ended up that right after the George Floyd situation came in being, we had one race, we talked about uh, coming together to do something. So we wanted to march there in the same area where just a few weeks ago there had been all kind of um, demonstrations and protests that actually had moved violent. They had busted out the windows of CNN, uh, they had attacked cars, they put uh, police cars on fire, and then they proceeded down downtown Atlanta and just threw bricks and windows and just smashed, went into our Buckhead area, did the same thing. So a lot of destruction had taken place as a result of initially peaceful protests. As a matter of fact, that one of the um, peaceful protesters that started off earlier that day was, had gone home. They, the, the ones that initiated had gone home by that night, and they were looking at television and said, oh, my God, it's, it's a shame what happened later. But, but we wanted to be right there. So even before the, the meeting that you saw there, the, the 13,000 people that came out, we had been having prayer meetings on the corner, just praying, and some of the BLM people would come and join us in our prayer time. So, so it's very important that the church is present. Let me just be real clear. It's very important, even though we were in the midst of a COVID situation, the church had to come out and have a presence. So as a result of that, we were there, and uh, within just a couple of weeks' time, we ended up having about 13,000 people that showed up. And we marched down the streets of Atlanta from Centennial Park to, uh, to the Capitol, had another rally there, and then came back from Centennial to, uh, to, I mean, to, from the Capitol to Centennial. And then, of course, we had time of worship. Some people may, may have seen it. Maverick City was there worshiping. It was just a, a tremendous time of worship and praise. But the point I'm making is that we had to be seen. Now, let me back up a little bit. My, I'm originally from Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta was a hotbed, actually, for a lot of things, and particularly when I grew up. Dr. King was from that area. So I, I, I've said, and some of you may have seen that testimony there, that I just remember this, the impact of Dr. King's death in Atlanta, uh, my parents, because my parents grew up at a time where they literally did have the colored-only water fountains and the colored-only bathrooms and all these things. So I grew up in a time where we were very aware that we had to be very specific about when we would travel what time we would travel, being out during certain times of night if you're traveling through Alabama or Mississippi and then the South. So those things were real. I can remember uh, one of Dr. King's um, pre uh, statements he mentioned, his children asked him, why couldn't we go to Fun Town? See, I'm about the age of his children. And so I remember Fun Town myself. And so we were not allowed to go to Fun Town. Fox Theater, which is a beautiful theater, even during my time, I remember, there was a certain stairway that only blacks could go up if they were allowed to even come to a particular production in there. So this is even in my era that I can remember. And I'm not old as Methuselah. I'm really not, I promise you. <laughs> so, so in that case, that this is what I'm saying is we're, the point I'm making is that we're just, uh, a, just barely a generation away from some incredible things that have taken place. So in that regard, I just want to kind of bring you up to date. Uh, the thing with One Race, let me go back to that. One Race was started about three years ago, uh, three or four years ago, where we started to begin to pray 
uh, some pastors came together. We were reaching out to young people, actually at our church at the Father's house, and we wanted to make sure that we would have an opportunity where we can have an impact beyond just one meeting. So we connected ourselves. We went away. We had some time again with our families to pray, and we said, Lord, what is it that we should do? And we felt like racial healing, racial reconciliation would be the part, the main thing that we should have as a, as a focus. So we begin to look at what would be a great opportunity in our area to attack. Let me just say this also. When you're dealing with racial healing, you know, it's one thing to think that maybe you can cover it all nationally at one time. But you have to deal with that thing in the region. So we chose to deal with the region of the Atlanta area. Certainly, we did have some people nationally that wanted to come and join us. And that was okay, but we knew we had to take responsibility for the area that we live, just like we have to take responsibility for this generation. We can't disconnect ourselves. One of the biggest issues with the church is that we tend to disconnect ourselves from things that are going on in society. But remember, David said he served his generation. So it was very, very important that we have a responsibility to serve our generation. So we, so we don't, we're, we're not, it, it's not them and us. Well, it was, it's not affecting me. Yes, it is. If, if, if we are born at this time and we're born again believers, we have a responsibility to, make, to take action. We have a responsibility to be seen. We have a voice that has to be heard. So, so, so inactivity to some degree is a support for what's going on in a society. So we just can't sit back and let everybody else figure it out. No, we have to ourselves positively, by determination, move forward in a volitional area and say, no, this is the church and we are the church and we want to be seen. So in this regard, in our area, Dr. King mentioned about Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain was, um, is, is one of the, probably one of the biggest pieces of granite in, in, in the world. It's one big granite thing. It's, it's a large mountain there. And so Stone Mountain actually was a place where in 1915, a, um, a, actually a Methodist minister, which is a shame, he uh, was really motivated by what he saw in this, this uh, film called Birth of a Nation. So it was going to be actually debuted in, in this time, and so he wanted to bring back the Klan. The Klan had been pretty much trying to, to run off during the late 18, 1800s to try to at least keep them off bay, but he wanted to reignite the Klan. So in 1915, he went to Stone Mountain. He led a group of whites up top. They, they began to burn crosses at the top of Stone Mountain. So Stone Mountain, even as I grew up, in the, in the uh, 60s and 70s, we all knew that this was formerly a beacon of white supremacy. So even when we would go there, we would always think now, you know, the Klan hanging out, well, well, don't be around Stone Mountain too late, because we really, even there was rumors that even Klan activity, and it, even though they may not call themselves the Klan, but still there's been white supremacists that have always hung around Stone Mountain. Also on Stone Mountain, in our area is what is considered the largest confederate monument in the world on the side of Stone Mountain. On the side of Stone Mountain, they honor the generals, the generals of the confederate army. So some of those would be, of course, that would be um, Jackson, uh, Lee, 
uh, is on the, and, uh, and, and Davis, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson. And so it's interesting, one of the NAACP uh, members once said that it was the largest shrine of white supremacy in the history of the world. So this is what you have in Stone Mountain. Now, just God is kind of interesting there. Do you know that now Stone Mountain, that the city of Stone Mountain, though, is inhabited by a lot of black people, but then you have Stone Mountain there that is beacon of white supremacy. So we decided with one race, one of the biggest things we would do is that we would target, and within a year and a half to two years, to go to Stone Mountain and to declare that God is on the throne, that the kingdom of God is, is beyond any white supremacist, that, that we're going to come against that white supremacist spirit, and that we're going to pray right there at Stone Mountain. So we begin to have prayer meetings. Let me be clear about this too. If you're ever going to do anything related to race, it has to be embedded in prayer. There has to be a connection to prayer. There is no, there's no protest that's more important than prayer. See, we, many times we say people that minimize prayer. And they say, well, you know, we got to be seen. But no, what we did in this whole eleva ele uh, elevation of this area is that we had to pray where no one could see us. So we went from church to church. And we would begin to get pastors that could connect with us. <clears throat> and then we began to pray. We had meetings of prayer meetings. Sometimes it was hundreds. There were times that we've had 13, 1,400 people, and mostly young people. Let me also be clear about this. The young people are not just in the streets. There were young people crying out for opportunity to pray against racial injustice, racial division, and racial disparities. So we began praying in churches. We went from, from about 20, 30 churches before Stone Mountain and began to pray. So what, what that did was that brought the pastors together. That brought the congregations together. They began to realize how critical this was, so it became something that was not just a good idea, but it was a God burden. So we moved in that regard. So that's what built up the prayer. Let me Stone Mountain. Let me just say this too. Even if you have an event, we had a big event. Um, by the time we got to the event, though, we had a momentum started in prayer, prayer closets, prayer churches. I mean, we, we would break up in groups and pray, and we, we would have time of worship. We'd worship, and then many pastors would come up to pray. The reason I'm spending time with this is because there is a labor that has to be done by the church in order to make an emphasis, because we don't do the things that the world does. If we look and sound like the world, then it's not going to sound like the kingdom. There's a kingdom culture that we have to protect, that we have to put forth. So we cannot just say the same things that the world is saying and understand things the way the world understands because there's a whole nother understanding when we're dealing with issues like this. So in the context of that, we finally did get to Stone Mountain. Uh, this was August the 28th, I believe, 25th, uh, that, that we had up there at Stone Mountain. And so we ended up having over 20,000 people showed up throughout the day. Now, this was not, you know, just sometimes evangelicals, we will, we will explain ourselves, or charismatics, we will explain ourselves, say, oh, yeah, it was 20,000. No, even by Stone Mountain itself, by their own understanding, it literally blocked traffic 
from Stone Mountain even over to I-20, that there were people just trying to get there. So the place was packed. It's one of the largest meetings they had in the history of Stone Mountain. So we went to the top of the mountain where those crosses were burning. We went to the cross up there, about, about two, several thousand young people climbed up, about 200 pastors went up, and we got on our knees and cried out to God and asked him to forgive us And listen to this, forgive us as a nation, forgive us as a region, forgive us for allowing separation, racial division, racial prejudice, racism, white supremacy, and said, Lord, we're sorry. And we cried out to God. And so we then took a cross up there ourselves, raised up a cross of Jesus Christ, and we prayed right there at the, at the base of that, at the top of the mountain, and cried out at the cross. Because really, that's the only well where true reconciliation can happen. It has to be at the foot of the cross. True reconciliation has to take place at the foot of the cross. So we had to do that. It wasn't just symbolic. It was an important thing that the anointing of the Holy Spirit hit that place. Uh, we had some, some, John Perkins was there, who's known for racial issues and ra- racial reconciliation out of Mississippi. He looked out at the crowd. He said, listen, I, I, I marched during the days of, of Dr. King. I've seen so many things. He said, this is the fulfillment of what I believe God to see. We had city manager come up from, uh, of uh, Stone Mountain to come up. We had different legislators. They said, man, we, we've never seen anything like this to have such a vast group of blacks and whites and Hispanics. And so then when we left the top of the mountain, we went to the base of the mountain. And there we cried out to God all day long. We, we, had, we had communion. We, we had foot washing. We, 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 we passed the baton to the next generation. I mean, we worshiped again. We prayed again. So we had a full day of reconciliation and healing. And the, and, and the, the place was on fire. It was, it was televised on God Channel. Again, why am I telling you this? Because I'm telling you I want to increase your faith that things like this can be done. The church does not have to stay and remain quiet. We can, we can make a move and really have a strong emphasis of racial reconciliation and healing, but it has to come out of a place of brokenness. It has to come from a place of contrition. And so in, the re, in regard to this, let me come back. I'm going to try, try to take my time as I go through it. They say I have a clock, and if that clock is right... I'm praising the Lord. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so, so anyway, um, personally, I've gone through a journey. You, you need to hear this. Um, I grew up in Atlanta. I, I, my focus was black. I went to a black high school, black, 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 black elementary school. I mean, everything was black. Chose to go to a historically black college. Went to a historically black uh, college uh, for law school also. So in this, everything in my filter was black. I didn't trust that any white person really cared about black people because I knew what the history was. So out of this, my whole focus became what was, was best for black people. So in that context, a person, even though I gave my life to the Lord, in that context, I still carry into my Christian walk a prejudice. I carry into my Christian walk almost an idolatry 
of being black. So let me first say this clearly. It may come as a surprise, but you can be Christian and still have racial prejudice in your heart. Okay, thank you for the five or six. I'm going to work you. I got all day to work you just a little bit. So, so, you can, so you can still be Christian and carry over things that don't represent the character of Christ. So let me start off by saying, please, understand this. That I know it's, a, it's one of the greatest offenses to someone to come to you and say, man, you still got some stuff in you that's got to come out. As long as you're a Christian, there are things that will still be informed and shaped in his likeness. The things that still the word is helping us to see that we need to get rid of. So we first have to examine ourselves and see where is some stuff in us. I personally had things inside of me. After coming to the Lord, I didn't even want to be preached to by someone white. Because I, I felt like I wanted black pastors. I wanted, I wanted black people. That was the only way that I could maybe even understand what God was doing. I felt like it had to be filtered through black voices. Uh, I, I came out of an environment where Dr. King's kids, Bernice, went to my high school. Uh, the present mayor of, uh, of Keisha Lance Bottom went to my high school. Um, the, 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 black, the movie Black Panther, the star there, went to my college. Even the, the vice president candidate right now, Kamala Harris, she went to Howard University. So what I'm saying to you is that even now, if we're not careful, and I say we, We'll not care. We'll carry a culture of the world and we'll elevate it to overcome the culture of Christ. So we have to fight against the temptation to see things from our background because many times in our background, we're not even open enough to know what other people have dealt with over the years. So one of the things I'm sharing with you, my perspective, because God had to deal with me and my own personal prejudice. So, well, how can you be black and be prejudiced? Absolutely. Because I felt like um, that the only way to be proud of who I was is that I had to elevate it to a place that made me, in my mind, better than everybody else because I was, I'd been a victim, but now I was achieving. I was a victim, I go into college. I was a victim, but I've overcome. So, so it's something inside a certain pride. Now, is it wrong to, to see a pride of race? Absolutely. The de- fact of the matter is, it's only God that can give you the grace. So it's not, of course, that we say all this time, it's not about your race, it's about the grace of God. It's about the anointing of God. It's anointing that breaks the yoke. You can't do anything but by his grace. So if I, it depends on my race. Now, is there a certain privilege that goes along with race? Is there a certain uh, negativity that goes along with race? There is no doubt about it. Even in our nation right now, there still is a dividing line. People are not colorblind. So, it's, so this is a perfect example. As we know right now, there are people that um, have elevated the situations of law enforcement killing uh, black men. Uh, it's not just black men, but typically speaking, it's the law enforcement and, and, and black black individuals. So, so then, so therefore, you have Michael Brown, you have Philander Castile, you have Alton Sterling, you, you have George Floyd, which is of, of recently, and then even here in Wisconsin, in Kenosha, you have Jacob Blake. So all these situations come. It just it just came up with. Um, 
with decisions about Breonna Taylor. So it's all these things, things Ahmaud Arbery. He said, well, God, you know all the names. Let me say why I know the names, because I want people to know that I'm aware of it. But I'm also aware of the solution. It's in Christ Jesus. It's not just in what I can do outside, but it is important to understand this. So follow me in this. Um, all these scenarios, most of the generation now may not know, like I spoke to you about a, a colored-only water fountain or, or going to certain places, or, or, or maybe amusement parks that you couldn't go to. Maybe, maybe this generation doesn't really understand it, but what they do understand is this, ne- this negativity that goes with law enforcement and blacks. So out of that, there's become a real pain that's associated to this. So what is very important, let me give you one first thing here. When this thing happens, like with Jacob Blake and for them to pull his shirt and just start shooting, I believe it was seven times. I mean, for that thing to happen, it, it breaks your heart. Now, I've been around this a long time, but it just breaks your heart. So the first thing I want to encourage you, those that are white, to first, before you start mitigating the situation and say, well, what was his history? What did he do? How, how did, he, did he resist arrest? What, what's the DA going to say? What's the grand jury going to say? What are they going to do? What's the mayor going to do? So before you start mitigating, the first thing do, to do as a Christian, you mourn with those that mourn. So we mourn the death of another black life. Why is that important? Because as Christians, we have to understand what each other's feeling. So it's very hard sometimes for a person that may not have had the, the 400 years that, that since slavery, slaves came to America, the, the 400 years that we had a civil war that was based on the abolishment of slavery, had to have an abolitionist movement to deal with it, have to go through reconstruction and then all that be overturned and then Jim Crow laws and, and all the things have to have voting rights acts, all these things that have to happen just to try to get some parity. So it's, as a result of that, it affects generational in terms of how you see yourself. So, so because of that, we have to know this. Let me give you a perfect example. Most of you may not know this. I was just saying to, um, to last night at dinner, you might not have this situation where most black parents have to talk to their children, and particularly of their black men, young men, and say, this is what you do if you're pulled over by police. Please, number one, don't resist. Get your hands on the steering wheel or up on the dashboard or something so they can see both hands. Respond, even if you're upset, respond, please, and respond appropriately because the worst thing that could happen is that something goes awry, something goes wrong. So there is already, already a certain fear and paranoia when a black person, particularly a black young person, gets pulled over by a white police officer. So the parents have to teach their kids not just how to drive a parallel park, but they have to teach their kids how to respond when they get pulled over by a police officer. Now, a white family not even thinking about that. Why, why would you think about it? But, but because of history and because of that, there's that this, and even if you say, well, well, hold on, there are more white people that are pulled over. There, there are black, white people that get killed too. Yeah, I understand that. But what I'm trying to understand you is sometimes we move by perceptions. 
So the perception is, is that if this happens, there is a possibility that there may be a white cop that may be so upset or so paranoid or so fearful that he's quick to draw his weapon. And if I talk too much and I declare my rights, and why did you stop me, then he may want to pull me outside the car. If he pulls me outside the car, he may say, well, put your hands on the car. And if I don't want to do that, and I'm saying I'm trying to explain myself, then before I know I could get tased or get shot, you just don't know what could happen. So there's a there's this fear that even the parents now, and this is in this day, they have to tell their kids, you got to be careful, listen, when you are driving while black. Driving while black. So all of these things are going on. Now, let's, let's talk about these, these buttons that will have to be pushed. Um, so for blacks, that's a button that's pushed. For, for whites, now you, you got to admit, now I know you don't want to say it, I, I'm, I'm here to say things you can't say, okay? I'm here to say, bro, black folks want to tell you that, that you want to hear, they, they like, oh, go, go, preach it, Bishop, I'm lo- <laughs> tell the white people what they need to hear. So I'm also here for white people to tell the black people what they want to hear. So there's a way, hold time out, black folks, y'all have had a president, y'all had a black man in the Oval Office. It's even, Right? I mean, come on. You're still talking victim. Why are you always victimizing yourself? Come on. I mean, it's, yeah. number one, slavery for 400 years. You've had opportunities. You can go to college. You can do all these things. Some, some black people, you see Oprah? She's a billionaire. There are black people that are selling. Well, why, what's the problem? What's the problem? Why, why are you always saying somebody owes you something? Is you still want affirmative action now? Is it, you already had affirmative. You affirmatively got in the White House. Man, what, what's the problem? Why are we still dealing with this? Get off my back. And then that Black Lives Matter stuff. I know. Don't, don't, don't smile too much right now. Just <laughs> internally. Okay, let me take the pressure off of you. I was just talking to a very prominent um, Hispanic lawyer. And we were just talking about the whole Black Lives Matter. And she was just saying to me, she said, in confidence, I just want to tell you that a lot of Hispanics are tired of hearing about Black Lives Matter. So I know that those terms mean something because it causes causes to to, to deal with someone. Wait, hold on. What's that? So, So I'm here to deal with stuff that you know, it's kind of, I'm gone. I'm, I'm catching a plane tomorrow. So I'm dropping bombs as we go. <laughs> you think I'm dropping bombs now? Just wait till the night. So, so, so Black Lives Matter. So what is it? So let me just deal with three things about Black Lives Matter. Number one is typically speaking, the whole the expression is basically better explained maybe that Black Lives Matter too. Because it's, it's a comparison not to say that other lives don't matter, it's just to say that we want to say, you know, black people want to let everyone know that, that if law enforcement will kill a black person or shoot someone, it's almost like the black life doesn't matter to them. So then we're saying black lives matter too. So, that, so that's, that's a statement and a slogan, and it has become basically a movement, and they've been using that, that, that term, that term. So, of course, you have that part of it. Secondly, you also, but, but clearly, I do understand that that does not mean that other lives don't matter. I, I'm, I will get into some of that between now and later. Um, so then you have also the movement as a result of BLM in terms of B, the protest movement, 
which has moved not only just from being outside doing uh, peaceful protests, but it looks like at night it seems like, along with some other agitators, it could be other groups, Atifa, other groups that come in, and that they've been bringing bricks and Molotov cocktails just to agitate the situation. So in other words, you have the peaceful protest, and they use the Black Lives Matter slogan. You have a whole, a whole group of people that want to use it for negative, and then you also have the organization. The organization, the background organization with Alicia and Patrice and those guys have publicly said that they've been trained as Marxists. They're against our government as it is. They're against the establishment of democracy as we have it. Uh, and also, they um, believe in transsexual rights, not just LGBTQ rights, but also transsexual rights. They're, they're also against uh, the nuclear family as we know it, the, the mom, the dad, the children, and, and the, the, the defin defining by, by, by gender. The, the whole thing about gender designations, they're, they're against that, that we have to have rights for people to be transgender. So, so the whole focus of this, and also somewhere up in there is women's rights. So, so all the whole focus of this is to transform the way God created us. The core of it centers around coming against the family all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve producing, whether it's Cain and Abel, all of it. The fact of the matter is that the organization itself is out to destroy the nuclear family. So you have the organization, you have the protest movement, and you have the phrase. So all of them, not, not all of them, the whole thing isn't just so, so bad. It's just that you have to break it up to look at what the impact of it. So therefore, I want to just say to you that all lives do matter, of course. All, even in the black community, there are those that are they kill each other. I, oh, I know you guys say that. I say, you guys talking about Black Lives Matter. Well, you guys, you know, shoot each other up in your own community. So, so there are several things that are legitimate co concerns. But we have to begin to get to the scripture and begin to what Jesus says to get to anything. Because if you allow CNN, if you allow the world to dictate what you think and how you believe, then you are going to be victim by the culture influencing your thinking and ultimately the culture begins to define the church. So we can never allow the culture out here, no matter who it is, to define us and define how we think and how we see things. No matter how bad it gets, there's always a Jesus solution for everything we do. So we have to dig in deeper. We have to dig in deeper. We have to go at another level. We cannot stay over there. So yes, we had a, we had a march. Like, 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 like Pastor Malik said, we, we had a march, 13,000 people. We, we marched right by one block away from CNN. Where, where the whole thing started, Centennial Olympic Park, they had to have National Guards there for weeks to keep people out. So we were the first major event there when we had 13,000 people marching. 
People were raising banners. Now, were there, there were some BLM people came up and joined us. That was, that's fine. Join us. But we were raising the name of Jesus. We were talking about Jesus. Jesus matters. Caring about him. All kind of signs. Displaying the unity of the church. We, we did this. took all day. The news media did not even acknowledge that we were representing the church. So therefore, if we use one brick to break one window, it would have made the news. But because we were literally preaching about Jesus, marching for Jesus, talking about the unity of the church, it it received no national media, particularly CNN or those Washington Post yet put something. The the Times, I think it may have a little little glip. Fox put a quick thing. In other words, still, people like destruction. People like bad news. But the good news of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're going to be working where we won't get the credit in the natural but we're getting all the credit in heaven. So therefore, everything we do has to be centered upon what God says, not what the world says. We cannot be politically correct. We have to be kingdom correct. That has to be our our, our focus. We cannot be racially sensitive. We have to be kingdom sensitive. So in other words, the kingdom says that we care for one another. So I'm not just caring for you because it's a nice thing to do. No, I care for another person no matter what their race because the Bible says love each other, care for one another, mourn when you mourn, rejoice when you rejoice, confess your sins one to another. So even though we may have churches that are separated, we're not separated in heaven. So we have to know what the church down the street or the church in another state, what they're dealing with. We have to, pastors must break their bonds of territorialism and come to know each other. Come to have opportunities where congregations could know each other. The greatest thing we had was for blacks and whites to worship one another. I can remember we had a great meeting at one of the largest churches in the city. I was glad, hate to say I was glad it happened, but we, we would have problems with our sound all the time, seemingly. So we had the sound, but in this big church, they had a problem with sound. The sound went out, but they were singing Break Every Chain. The, 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 they start singing it. The, the, congr- the sound went out. The, the, you could not hear by voice. The, 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 the whole audience, black and white, Hispanic, Asian, they just begin to pray, break every chains, break every chains. And it's resounded across all these thousands of people. I mean, the power of God was so much greater without the sound system. But the unity of the body of Christ coming together, and that was just an example of what God can do when the body of Christ comes together. We don't have to have all the things in place, but if we come together, there's a supernatural anointing that covers us. What I'm going to talk about tonight is I'm going to tell you about spiritually how we can get there. But I'm just saying you right now, let me just give you this scripture here. Now, this is, I wrote this as a mandate. Uh, and I, I just want to say it is that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote a little book it, some time ago called A Mandate. You probably can't find that one, but I do have another one coming out called Crisis in America. And uh, that'll probably be out within another month or so. 
So we'll be telling you about that. But I do talk about some of these issues in it. But in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 7, 17 through 21, it says, Therefore, any man being Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is revolutionary because, see, the past cannot bind us to our future. Our, our future has to be in Christ. So even though we've been bound in sin and we've been in bad situations and taking advantage of one another, we have to recognize that when we come to Christ, we're a new creature. So then we're gonna ha we have to shed ourselves of those old things that keep us bound. And many times it relates to each other. So let's go on further. It says here, And all things of God who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. What does that mean? In other words, number one, it's almost like the cross. You, you have horizontal and you have the vertical. So, so vertically, first of all, it's where we come to the Christ and give our heart to him. We give our love for him. We surrender to him. So we're reconciled to the Father as we have given our life to Christ and what his sacrifice was for us so we become reconciled to him. He forgives us of our sins. But along with it, he says he also has given us a, a word of reconciliation. Says to wit, it says, have given to us a word of reconciliation and we are ambassadors of Christ. So in the word of reconciliation, it, is, it goes horizontal. In other words, to, to really show that we are vertically in place with Christ, then we have to show that we horizontally love ourselves, love each other just like we love him. He said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? In other words, the, the proof that we love Jesus who you can't see is loving your brother that you can see. So the love for each other cannot just be our separate. Yeah, <laughs> you guys good. I'm, I'm sure y'all over there, y'all work y'all problems out. It's funny because when we've been doing this whole thing of, of reconciliation, we've heard so many things. They said, man, you know, you guys, you guys are really great. Y'all are really great black Christians. You know, y'all go on and do your work and maybe y'all can go up and really lead some black movements and lead some black churches and, you know, really be a, a good black preacher and y'all can really influence some black people. And so what happens is that, they be, and God bless you, we're going to pray for you. So what happens is even in the church, we tend to designate the work of reconciliation as a black problem. See, the work of reconciliation is a Jesus issue. So he called us to be one. Now, the other scripture that I have you, oh, Lord Jesus. I'm seeing some zeros that I did not want to see. All right, so this, this, so, so John 17, and so I guess I'm going to try to end here. John 17. The Bible says clearly it's a priestly prayer of Jesus. He says in here, John 17, verse 20, he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. In other words, what Jesus was saying, that there is no break in the oneness of the Trinity. There's no break in the relationship and oneness between Jesus and the Father. 
The greatest thing that Jesus desired is that the church would be one. So he was speaking to his father. And he was testifying to his father that I've, I've taught them what you told me to teach them. I've given them what they need to know. And I'm declaring to you that I'm calling them to be one because it's so very necessary. And go, go, go what the scripture says. It says, and may they be in us that the world will believe that you sent me. And I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. What is saying this? In order for the world to believe that Jesus Christ was sent from the Father, the world is looking for the church to be one. One race, one committed body, one body together. So, so when they see the division, and I'm not just saying that every church has to have some kind of... Um, uh, uh, ratio, saying, well, I got 10% black in the community, or I got 5% black, or I got 50%. No, no, I'm not even talking about ratios right now. What I'm saying to you is that a church can't indicate what the culture is of that environment. So it may racially, but it doesn't mean that because it's a mostly white church or mostly black church, that still doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be reconciled. There's something that's got to go on in the heart of that black church or that white church or whatever the church is. They'll reconcile to the Father, but they also reconcile to one another. Let me just say this to you also. Boy. So, during integration, the biggest issue was could black children and white children learn together? So, in order to, in order to protect the, the, um, the, the education of blacks, it was it said maybe we should integrate. Integration's fine. You can sit together. Um, then there's words like unity. Unity is okay because you know you might have unity maybe on a football field or a basketball field, whatever a basketball court, whatever it might be, because you're unified for a certain purpose. So you might be with each other. But but when you start getting over to words like reconciliation and oneness. It requires that you die to something. He says that, that, that I must decrease, that you must increase. So there's still something about us by the nature of man that must die. In order for two people, even whether you're married, whether you're brothers and sisters in Christ, even two pastors, oh, that's a big one. Let me just say this, the hardest issue that we had dealing with the issue of race is getting pastors together that are used to doing it their way. I was, I was pastoring in Raleigh, North Carolina. We had a big racial reconciliation meeting, and I, I was calling some of the people up, said, man, we would love to have you there. And so some of the, some of the ones that were evangelical, they didn't know, but they didn't want to speak in tongues. They said, well, I'm going to come, but y'all not going to be speaking in tongues, are you? I said, well, no, we'll, we'll try not, but... But, but does that mean that we can, can't get together? And then I talked to a black pastor and said, well, pastor, would you please come? We have a speaker coming, and we really want to focus on racial reconciliation and healing. He said, well, let me just ask you a question. Say, can, can I come there and, and, and pray in tongues? I said, well, that's not quite the point here. The point is we want to be together. Sometimes we develop our own little territorialism, empire, or kingdom. We, 
pastors. So we prevent, we stand in the way of the church really coming together because outside of my kingdom, I'm not important. I want to project myself. I got to keep myself. So I got to prove myself to the world that I'm all that uh, a big shot. What I loved about Stone Mountain was even when people had a huge church, it did not matter. All of us were almost even. It was like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't give anybody any real credit for the size of their church. Everybody was, was there seeking God and had to be broken and had to repent. Everyone say these words, repent. Okay, so you're talking to yourself. You're not talking to your neighbor. So, so, so every one of us have to repent because there's still something inside of us that's not completely right in this area. We got to start off by saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for having wrong thoughts. Forgive me for being impatient. Forgive me for, 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 for still feeling that somebody else got to get themselves together. I'm tired of this stuff. I'm sick of it. No, Lord, I do care about black lives. I do care about what whites and what we care. I care about in the church. I got to love one another. He said, love your enemies. Man, we have to love each other. And then the revolutionary word is this. Oh, this was not, this was not very popular during George Floyd days. I, I start saying this word and folks start calling me. What? Forgive. Well, well, you might as well throw your Bible out there. He says, forgive. You, if, if you even pray, you can pray and move a mountain. You can pray and move a, You can pray whatsoever you say it. You say it and you believe it, and it'll come to pass. I mean, Mark 11, it's very clear that the Holy Ghost is powerful. He'll do whatever you say uh, except you got unforgiveness in your heart. Your prayers, all of that short circuits your prayers if you have unforgiveness in your heart. So, so there's no way to even cry out to God for justice if we're not willing to forgive. There's no way that the kingdom of God can come to the church and have true oneness unless we're willing to forgive. And, and listen, and die to ourselves. And li- what I think is not as important as us being one. See, God is calling to us to a place. Let me, let me just say this in closing. I really believe that God is doing a special thing here. I know your pastor really has a heart for this. Um, but it's going to take some knee work. I was, you got, I think Robert Keanu's been here. I had a chance of ministering with him just a few weeks ago. And he said that if we are not careful, that knee that went to the neck of George Floyd will be on the whole body of Christ unless we get on our knees. The knee work, the real knee work is the church crying out to God, asking for his forgiveness, asking for his mercy that he would bring true racial healing to our land. And he's not going to do it until the church gets on our face before God and say, Lord, forgive us. Join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for just who you are. Lord, we just love you so much. We need you. 
We need you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Lord, we recognize that the racial injustice in the world and all these things that we're fighting against, Lord, Lord, we, we, we recognize that, Lord, the fight is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Lord, I pray, Father, that, Lord, in this church right here and even those that are joining us, by, 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 by live stream or YouTube or Facebook, whatever it might be. Father, I pray, oh God, that these words, Lord, will penetrate the hearts of these that are here. That we'll recognize, oh God, that when we declare you as Lord and Savior, that you have to be Lord over every area of our life. We as the church take responsibility for the racial injustice and the depravity of man. We take, the, the, we take responsibility for the racial divisions and racial disparities and the impact of it. Lord, we say we're sorry, Lord, for standing away and acting as though it'll get itself together. Y'all get them together. No, it's our church. It's our problem, oh God. We see it as a mandate. Reconciliation is a mandate. Lord, we must be reconciled to you. Therefore, we must be reconciled to our brother. Heal us, O oh God. Help us see ourselves where we fall short. Help us see ourselves where we're impatient. Help us see ourselves where, where we, want, we want to di distinguish ourselves away from everything else. Lord, we say, Lord, we have sinned. That's what Daniel said, Moses. We have sinned. Nehemiah, we have sinned. Lord, we take responsibility as a church. All the things that happened, even in this state right there in Kenosha, all the things that happened, Lord, right before our eyes, all throughout our nation, Lord, we, we say that the judgment starts in the house of God, Lord. We have allowed it. Forgive us. Forgive us. If you want to join me in this prayer, just stand right where you are. I just want to pray right now. Maybe you might not even get it tonight, but just stand where you are with me. Just stand where you are. If you want to ask the Lord just to bring healing, just stand with me. Lord, we choose to stand with you. We refuse to ignore and think that things are just going to go away. Help us, oh God. First deal with us, Lord. We, we invite you, Holy Spirit, purge our hearts, oh God. If I'm black and I, I still have a chip on my shoulder, if I'm black and I'm angry and I'm black and I don't trust and I'm, I'm black and I'm accusing and I'm black and I can't forgive, Lord, forgive me. From white just feel like I've got enough of this. Tired and patient. Sick of all this stuff, Lord. Just, Lord, forgive me, Lord. I needed your grace and your mercy. Lord, bring mercy to me, oh God. 
Help me, oh God, to be broken enough that I'll cry and mourn with those that mourn. Lord, we're sorry for the disparity of our nation. We're sorry for one group taking advantage of another group. We're sorry, oh God. Forgive us as a nation, oh God. Forgive us for allowing the church to be complacent and complying with what has happened in the world and accepting as a reality. Lord, it's not a kingdom reality. But we pray against the bondage of, of, of selfishness and racism and pride and greed, oh God. We pray, oh God, for love kindness grace, favor the beauty of joy, the beauty of holiness Lord we pray here I am in Wisconsin I pray Father that even now Lord I just want to pray and this is even see Lord I even pray against even Corona in this area Lord I break the spirit of Corona here I break the spirit of racism here I break the spirit of pride anything that will stand against what I believe is the word of God Lord I pray Father for the power of God the kingdom of God to manifest itself even here even throughout this state of Wisconsin and throughout the United States of America throughout the nations of the earth, oh God. Lord, let that kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we're not going to be complacent. We're not going to comply. Lord, we're going to move according to your spirit. Judge me, oh God. Judge me that I may be clean before you that I may be truly reconciled with you and reconciled with my neighbor. Help me to love those of a different race. Help me to love those of a different culture. Help me to love those of a different background. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, that I can be a part of the difference, that I can be a part of the Jesus answer and solution and we thank you for this Lord thank you that you're doing a new thing we're going to see revival hit this land revival is coming Lord, people are going to come to you like never before and there, this is a new day and we declare it's a new day we bless you now for all that you're doing and for who you are in Jesus name this Thank you, Bishop Hunt. You can remain standing as we close the service. What a powerful word. To be reconciled means to be restored to favor again. And we first must be reconciled to God, or it's impossible to be reconciled to one another. Because through that reconciliation, we're transformed by the love and the power of God. And it starts from a place, as Bishop Hunt said, a place of brokenness, a place of repentance. And until you get there, there's not going to be any real meaningful change. Racism, by definition, 
is hatred towards somebody that God loves. And we got to get over that. We have to love as he loved because we're born of love. We're called to love. Reconciliation is more than just what we experience from God, but it's a calling upon our life that we extend towards one another. I want you to bow your heads in a moment here. And if you're in a place and you say, Pastor, I know that my life is not right with God. I've not been reconciled. To be reconciled with God is to be at peace with him, to be in right relationship with him. And if you are not in right relationship with Jesus Christ, then I want to extend that opportunity to you this morning. You say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I know that if I were to die today, I'm uncertain what would happen to me. I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. But I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ today, even in this moment, to allow him to change me, to transform me. I want to be reconciled to the God of the universe. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Looking around, see if there's anybody that would say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I could be reconciled to God? Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you so much. We're going to pray a prayer together, and I call this a, a believer's prayer. It's a prayer to put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a prayer to put your trust in him. It's, it's the beginning of a journey with God to allow him access into your life to bring forgiveness of sins, to bring the gift of eternal life, to transform you from the inside out. So everybody, I'm going to ask everybody to repeat, repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I open up my heart to you, and I repent of my sins. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you were raised from the dead to give me life. Today, I put my trust in you. Jesus, come into my life and be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins and make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, take a moment in your own words, just talk to the Lord and say, forgive me, Lord God. I commit my life to you. I put my trust in you. I look to you. And in this moment, you receive forgiveness of sins. You receive the gift of eternal life, the miracle of the new birth, where God transforms you from the inside out. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to invite the prayer team to come to the front. I know it's a little tight up here, but we're going to extend an opportunity for you to come forward for prayer, especially if you raised your hands. If you are making a commitment of your life to the Lord Jesus for the first time, we would want to give you some information, help you in that journey as you begin that journey with God. But we're so glad that you could be with us this morning. Bishop Hunt, thank you so much for this message. How many of your hearts have been stirred? You've heard a message this morning that I believe is a seed that can bring a greater move of God in your life. 
And if you open to what God wants to do, he will do something extraordinary. He will do something so powerfully in your life. So as a church, we don't have to be inactive, but we can be involved to impact the culture around us with the power of Jesus Christ, with the love of God. That's our vision. We want to impact this community. But we're not going to make a difference without surrender to Jesus, without repentance, without brokenness. So I want to dismiss you in the final prayer. And we are meeting tonight at 7 p.m. And uh, come, I believe you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message that we've heard. Father, let what was spoken take root in our heart and, and produce fruit in our lives. Father, we look to you, to Jesus as the author, the finisher of our faith, the one who's perfecting us, the one who's transforming us, the one who's changing us. Jesus, do a work in us so that you can do a work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. We will see you at 7 o'clock tonight. Those desiring prayer. Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.